Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 3 Liana and Baz followed the guard until they exited onto the main level of Torchsire Library. The guard hadn't offered any further explanation of why they were being summoned, and it wouldn't have been proper to ask. Speakers did as they were told, and while conservators were, in theory anyway, much closer to an equal footing with readers, in practice, all but the master restorers were expected to demonstrate obsequity in the face of a reader's will. The guard led them down the austere, gray stone hallways of Torchsire Library, stopping before the set of tall, oaken doors that led into the receiving room. He stopped at the threshold and motioned for them to enter, apparently not intending to go with them probably afraid to face the duke for taking so long to find us. Baz glanced at Liana. She had schooled her expression to calm neutrality, and she started forward without him. Alone, Liana was pleasant enough, but when it came to official matters, she was all proper and procedural. There was nothing for Baz to do but trail after her. The receiving room was where the Duke had spent the majority of what had been, until quite recently, the library's rather limited funds. The room was narrow and long, burgundy carpet leading down its length to a dais at the far end. Silken banners in wine and gold hung from the walls to either side. Ordinarily, each would have been the same, bearing the burning torch and book that were the Torchsire Library's sigil. However, now every other banner was deep blue, edged in gold, a book stitched at its center with a feathered quill on its cover, the symbol of the great library at Tome. At least, it had been before Oration's great capital had fallen to ruin during the burning three hundred years prior. Now it was a relic, a trophy to be displayed by the reigning champion of the Actus Trials. There were a great many people gathered in the chamber as Liana and Baz approached the dais. The Duke, of course, occupied the single, towering, high-backed chair on the platform. Octavonal Torchsire, always a leering crinkle about his eyes, surveyed the room from his perch, the coldness of his stare falling just short of contemptuous. His maimed hands were gloved in dark leather and folded in his lap, though the odd angles at which his fingers jutted made it impossible to totally overlook his handicap. 
a wide-brimmed hat the color of dried blood, with several feathers sticking from it, covered his balding scalp. It was pulled low, lending a suggestion of anger to his glare that made Baz begin to fidget with his hands. Behind the duke's chair stood four individuals. One was bald, stout, and so thoroughly muscled that he seemed incapable of relaxing his shoulders. A leather mask with slits for breathing covered his nose and mouth, and his harbor's razor was slung from a strap over one shoulder, its jagged edge seeming to snarl at whoever looked at it. The other three figures were dressed in nondescript black robes and chained to the wall behind the dais. They were distinguished only by the brands on their foreheads, each one different, marking the trio as speakers belonging to one of each of the branches of the Trinity, creation, destruction, and influence. Two had linen wrapped around their eyes, just as Tax did. The third, the influencer, instead wore darkened spectacles, blinders that prevented him from seeing. Deliritus, courtesy solely of Vaz's efforts, had returned from the Actus Trials with a book that could restore sight to the blind, and the Duke's influencer had been, thus far, the only individual upon whom the book had been used. Scarring at the edges of the spectacles was still visible from where the man's eyes had originally been burned out. Baz tried not to look at him. The scars unnerved him, but more than that, he knew the anger that would show in his own eyes if he dwelled on the fact that, although he had retrieved an instrument that could restore Tax's sight, he stood powerless to use it. Besides an assortment of torchsire guards scattered through the room, each wearing the same uniform as the one who'd summoned Baz and Liana, there were two other trios in the room. One, unfortunately, Baz knew all too well. The other, Baz had never seen before. To the duke's right stood Deliritus Torchsire, first of his name, heir to the library and trial's champion. He was accompanied by his creator, Delida, and his harbor, Rox. Deliritus was arrayed in a new coat in bright purple, trimmed with gold, and matching pants. White stockings rose nearly to his knees, and the ridiculous outfit was topped off by a hat so large it made rocks seem small. A red feather was stuck in the hat's band, contrasting with the Lyritus's long yellow hair, which was tied into a single tail that ran down his back. Beside the torchsire air, rocks couldn't have seemed any more spartan. Clothed all in gray, save for the brown leather of his harbor's mask, rocks practically blended in with the room's stone floor. He stood just behind Deliritus, arms folded across his massive chest. Like the duke's harbor, he had a razor slung over one shoulder on a leather strap that showed the patina of its years. The weapon was folded into its shortened iteration, such that the handle and blade were adjacent to one another, 
only its jagged edge exposed. But with a quick release of a mechanism and a snap of the wrist, the weapon could be extended to twice its length, exposing the straight-edged blade opposite the jagged side. Baz had seen what the weapon could do when it contacted a man's flesh, and thoroughly wished he hadn't. Delida regarded Baz with unmasked contempt as he approached the dais. She'd never liked him, though in that she wasn't unique. All the library's speakers actively sought to keep away from him, lest they be associated with the brother of a speaker who'd learned to read. But ever since Baz had returned from the trials, Delida's dislike had turned to downright hatred. Despite Deliritus's pledge to relegate Baz to utter disuse after Baz had blackmailed him to keep secret his ability to read, as if Baz was some tool that could be placed upon an upper shelf and forgotten, Baz had become Deliritus's most used speaker. It had come as no surprise that seemingly everyone in erstwhile desired the services of the reader who had returned victorious from the Actus Trials. Each year, the champion's library gained a certain notoriety, particularly amongst the illits who depended on the readers to provide everything from mended clothing to food to fixing squeaky hinges. But what had taken both Baz and Deliritus completely by surprise was that such desire also included not just Deliritus's services, but Deliritus's services in tandem with the winning speaker. That increased demand meant increased prices, and in the library of Duke Octavenal Torchsire, gilts and silves drove all decisions. So any time a destructive speaking was sought, it was Baz who did the speaking, repeating the words Deliritus read to draw the power from the library's spoken books. Of course, that meant Delida, who was Deliritus's favorite in more ways than one, had ended up being the one relegated to a dusty shelf, hastily cleaned off only when a creationist was needed and the Duke was too busy to use his own. Her eyes drilled into Baz like only an enraged woman's could. He pointedly did not look her way. Opposite Deliritus stood another trio of reader-harbor-speaker. The reader's clothing rivaled the Duke's own for finery. A pale blue silk jacket trimmed in white, a pair of billowy trousers in the reverse combination, white trimmed in blue, and tan riding boots speckled with mud. A wide-brimmed cavalier hat was settled at a slight angle upon his head, one side of the brim pinned up with a golden ornament in not one, but three feathers, two white and one bright blue, sticking from the unpinned side. Over his right breast were stitched three oak trees, one atop the other two, forming a triangle. A single oak tree was the sigil of the City of Fortune. Three meant that the man was not only from the city on the ocean vast, but also... Ah, Conservator Liana, you finally answer my summons. Liana curtsied to Duke Octavenal. Unless you were desirous of a beating, or worse, you showed respect when the Duke was around. 
Still, seeing her demonstrate such formality seemed out of place. Baz was far more used to her punching him in the arm and calling him names than seeing her pander to men in power. Not that Baz could criticize. He bowed to the Duke as well, though Octavenal hadn't even acknowledged Baz's presence. It wasn't that Baz didn't have pride. He just valued his continued breathing over his self-worth. "'My good Duke,' Liana said, "'I came as soon as I received it. "'And are you a conservator or a harlot "'coming before me dressed so?' Liana glanced down at her still wet garments. They were modestly cut, a high neck and long sleeves, but the damp cloth clung to her in a way that strongly implied what lay beneath. Baz felt his face heat, and he opened his mouth to tell the duke to leave Liana alone, and just what he could do with those feathers in his— No matter, the duke said, waving a deformed hand. His face took on the look of one who'd just sucked on a dozen lemons and was preparing to partake of the thirteenth as he turned to the reader in the three-feathered hat. This is Duke Forston Liamina, chair of the Triumvirate Congress. Baz's eyebrows rose, his planned outburst forgotten. He tried to stay as far away from politics as he could, but it was impossible not to know that— Outside the ruling tables of each triumvirate city, the Congress was Oration's most powerful body, and when it came to matters involving books and speakers, it was the final authority on national policy, ensuring uniformity of treatment, or mistreatment as the case might be, of speakers and the books from which they were able to draw power. An honor, Duke Farston. Liana's eyes were like a lake at the height of winter, but she quickly subdued them and favored Duke Farston with a curtsy. Baz followed suit, bowing low. Duke Farston inclined his head the barest fraction of an inch at Liana's curtsy, though his eyes didn't even glance her way. His expression was unreadable not neutral, as that would imply some level of ambivalence that was totally absent from Farston's demeanor. Placid was the only way Baz could think to describe it. Utter calm, though, despite that, there was something inescapably unsettling about his expression, as if it somehow spoke of a windless day in the middle of the ocean vast, and a vessel unmoving in the doldrums, out of both food and water. Or perhaps it was just the fact that Farston was staring directly at Baz. Well, now that all the necessary individuals and property are here, Duke Octavenal said, we can get this Octavenal, Farston interrupted. Baz's spine went straight as a pike, his eyes joining every other pair in the room to stare directly at Farston, like iron shavings attracted to a lodestone. The man's voice was unlike anything Baz had ever heard. It was as if he'd just seen the most beautiful plant ever to spring forth from Oration's soil, except upon closer examination its flowers were actually jaws, razor-sharp teeth gnashing down upon the flesh of any creature unfortunate enough to walk too near. 
You have not introduced your son's champion speaker. Duke Octavenel's eyes had locked onto Farston along with the rest of the room, though he seemed to recover himself quickly, shaking his head, expression dropping back into the sour abhorrence he displayed a moment prior. In erstwhile, we generally do not take the time to name all the property present at a meeting, Duke Farston. I did not acknowledge the rug upon which you tread or the seat on which I sit. Ah, but this is just a bit different, Farston said, approaching Baz. If I had just acquired a fine stallion, I would wish to show it off. His voice was calm as his expression and just as terrifying but Baz continued to find himself unable to look away, much less bolt from the room as the Liamina Duke approached him. Bazchin, is it? Farston took him by the chin, turning Baz's head from one side to the other, as one might inspect a head of cattle before the start of an auction, or, perhaps more aptly, before selecting the next animal for the slaughter. A fine specimen, Octavenal, Farston said. His expression didn't alter, but his eyes. They were pale, though somehow of indeterminate color, no matter how intensely Baz scrutinized them. At first glance, they carried the same neutrality as his expression, but as they bored into Baz's own, he began to see nightmares buried deep within them. His hands trembled. This is your court, Octavenal, Duke Farston finally said, breaking eye contact with Baz and moving back to stand with his own speaker and harbor. Would you care to explain the news I've brought, or shall I? Duke Octavenal and Duke Farston favored one another with smiles so fake it was incredible they weren't both arrested for counterfeiting on the spot. Yet, a moment later, Baz nearly permitted a gasp to escape his lips when Duke Octavenal not only accepted the man's tone, but nodded in seeming subservience toward him. "'Please, Duke Farston,' Duke Octavenal said." Go ahead and fill in my son and the other newcomers. Certainly. Farston turned to Deliritus. First, please accept my congratulations, Marquis Deliritus. Winning the trials is no small feat. And from what I hear, the volume you retrieved from Tome is a rather unique one. Baz couldn't help but glance to Deliritus, searching for even a hint of shame in his eyes. There was nothing there, of course. Sometimes it seemed as if Deliritus had actually convinced himself of the lie he'd been repeating, that it really had been him who'd triumphed in the trials. Deliritus's expression still held traces of confusion at Farston's irregular scene over Baz, though his voice suggested nothing but confidence mixed with just the right level of obsequity. I'm honored to be held in your high regard, Duke Farston, 
please, how might Torch Sire be of service to you? Ah, right to duty. While the words seemed to compliment, Farston's emotionless tone caused them to hit the ears like an insult. Deliritus's mouth twitched downward for just an instant. I'm afraid, Duke Farston continued, that I bring tragic news, an uprising amongst the speakers in fortune. An uprising? Deliritus's eyebrows rose, hand darting to his rapier's hilt, as if he knew how to use it. Well, perhaps that is too grand a term for it. Just a bit of unrest, really. A group of speakers from Galfet Library, one of Liamina's, how to put it, hmm, lesser institutions. They murdered their duke, then held the library for nearly a day before the conservator militia subdued them. Baz couldn't help but let out a surprised exhalation. Of course, being a speaker, and even despite Farston's abnormal attention toward him, all those present had forgotten his very existence, which meant at least three pairs of surprised eyes, octavenal, Farston, and Deliritus, all turned to him at once. Actually, make it five pairs, as Farston's harbor and speaker each glared at him as well. The harbor was a stark contrast to rocks. Fortune, being substantially further from Enigma than erstwhile, had access to far fewer of the giant Enigmans as bodyguards. Had it not been for the leather mask and same drab gray uniform that the other harbors wore, Baz would have thought the man an ordinary soldier rather than a harbor. He didn't even have a razor, but rather a longsword sheathed in a baldric across his back. Farston's speaker would have been similarly unremarkable, save that he wore a golden chain around his neck set with rubies. The jewels caused his brown eyes to shine red when the light reflected off them just so. Baz didn't know how they did things in fortune, but to outfit a speaker in such wealth would have been called arrogant and erstwhile, little different from bragging of one's annual salary to company you knew made far less. The dragon branded on the speaker's forehead matched the one on Baz's own. Baz feigned a cough and bowed low in apology for his outburst, though not before he saw the mortification in Deliritus's expression. The next instant, though, they were all back to disregarding his existence, save for Farston's harbor, whose gaze lingered on Baz, eyeing him up and down like a sculptor studying a block of granite before beginning to knock chunks off it. Baz tried not to look at him again. "'That is troubling news indeed, Duke Farston,' Deliritus said, I hope that you'll convey Torchsire Library's deepest sympathies to the library in question and pray to the scribes that the speakers involved have been brought to a swift justice. Oh, the speakers have been dealt with, Duke Farston replied, 
his tone remaining detached, yet carrying a distinct suggestion of surreptitious cruelty. I personally saw to it that they suffered greatly for their crimes. We started in the dungeons beneath my own library, removing fingers a digit at a time, then progressed from there until each was publicly broken upon the wheel at the center of the reading district. Duke Octavenal nodded as if this was an entirely natural topic of conversation, his unconcerned expression matching the cold sedateness of Farston's tone. Baz thought Deliritus looked a bit paler than he had a moment before, though the torchsire air said nothing. But don't be so quick to grieve for Galfet Library, Duke Farston continued. For months now, they've been at the forefront of a rather detestable effort to encourage the Congress to pass a new set of laws that would actually give rights to speakers. There are whispers in the streets of a larger-scale uprising amongst the speakers, and even a few illits have been arrested on suspicion of sedition, claiming allegiance to a group of insurrectionists who call themselves warriors, threatening to burn fortune to the ground if their demands for rights are not met. Rights? Deliritus asked, as if he didn't understand the word. Yes. Duke Farston replied, as if addressing a child, a sentiment Baz could actually understand. For the heir of an Erstwhelian library, Deliritus could at times be as bright as a subterranean cave. Not many, mind. Required rest one day a week, an avenue through which to report gross mistreatment, a few others. But that's absurd, Deliritus said. The Triumvirate Consolidation Treaty sets forth the laws by which all readers must treat their speakers. What more could they possibly want? Baz bit his lip to suppress another outburst. From what little he knew of the treaty, the only right speakers had was to not be murdered in cold blood. But considering a reader could condemn a speaker for even the most immaterial of slights, even that was a near meaningless concession. What more could speakers possibly want? Baz clamped his jaw shut until his teeth hurt, practically holding his breath for fear of what might come out of his mouth if he dared to open it. I'm glad to hear we're of the same mind on this matter, Marquis Deliritus. Farston said, that will make this much simpler. A special session of the Congress has been called, and each city of the Triumvirate must send a representative. And, traditionally, when a special session is held, that responsibility falls to the current champion of each city's trials. You, in this case. Deliritus's eyebrows nearly knocked the cap from his head, his wide-eyed gaze turning to his father. You mean, I am to travel to fortune? Strictly speaking, Duke Octavenal said, the responsibility ought to fall to the Duke of the reigning champion. He looked ready to sneer, 
but the Torchsire Duke's expression returned to one of merely mild displeasure when Farston joined Deliritus in staring at him. For the first time, Baz saw the flicker of an emotion on Farston's features, the twitch of a muscle at the edge of one of Farston's eyes, the suggestion of a downward tilt to his brows. But, Duke Octavenal continued, I cannot leave erstwhile at the present moment, not even for a task as vital as this one. Our library's increased trade obligations since your victory at the trials make that quite impossible. So you are to go, Deliritus. You will be erstwhile's representative. The duke hardly sounded a proud father, and Deliritus's expression made clear that he heard the disdain in his father's tone. Certainly, father, Deliritus said, quickly calming his features. I'll do my duty, of course. It's just a surprise, is all. Of course, Duke Farston said, you won't go alone. For an ordinary diplomatic council, you might bring three or more speakers, but we must reach fortune with haste, as the Congress must meet quickly to ensure the threat of radicalism is quashed before seeds of dissent sprout, so one speaker will have to do. Suddenly, Baz's stomach acquired a sinking feeling identical to one he'd felt in this exact room several months prior. Farston's colorless eyes oriented upon him once again. I expect it would make the most sense for you to be accompanied by the speaker you used during your victory at the trial. Welcome back, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed listening to Chapter 3 of Declaimer's Discovery. This is Episode Number 3 of Season 2 of D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club, uh, Episode Number 30 overall. Today is August 4th, 2022, as I'm recording this uh, short uh, outro here, um, so I've got my uh, got my work from home polo shirt on here. You guys might not be able to recognize me. Here, let me let me put the hat on. Okay, there we go. Um, <clears throat> okay, yeah, just a quick one here. Like I said last week, no analysis this week. I'm actually leaving for a weekend trip later this afternoon, so just hustling to get uh, get this all wrapped up here. Um, as you'll know, uh, by the time the podcast is out, if you subscribe to the newsletter, uh, I have completed the manuscript for book four, Declaimer's Stand. Um, so that's kind of my exciting personal update this week. It always feels good to get to the, get to the end of revisions, uh, for a book. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I just said I finished Declaimer's Stand or I finished my edits, but I finished my, finished my edits, so... Uh, that's going to be going to my editor now and my advanced readers, and we're definitely on track here for uh, the September 16th release date. So uh, chugging along there. Uh, other than that, I'm off to Long Island for uh, a family picnic for my wife's 
family this weekend down at the beach. So that should be a good time. Uh, certainly once I'm done scrambling around here getting day job stuff and podcast stuff finished up here. But definitely wanted to make sure you guys got your episode this week. So hope you, uh, again, hope you enjoyed chapter three there, which uh, I believe contains our inciting incident of Declaimer's Discovery, or Declaimer's, yes, Declaimer's Discovery, sorry. Uh, Sometimes I think maybe I shouldn't have started three books in a row with the word Declaimer, because I get them mixed up a little, which if I get them mixed up, I assume other people get them mixed up too, but oh well. But anyway, uh, yeah, the inciting incident for Declaimer's Discovery I think happens towards the end of chapter three there. We can debate that next week, though, kind of like with the Actus Trials, there's maybe debatably more than one inciting incident. So we'll talk more about that later. Um, and I think that's it, except I will uh, leave you with a quote of the week, as I always do here. So this week's is from Brandon Sanderson and The Way of Kings, uh, the first book in his Stormlight Archives series. The purpose of a storyteller is not to tell you how to think, but to give you questions to think upon. And uh, I don't so much have an essay about this week's quotes uh, as a look behind the curtain into my writing process. You know, I'd like to do the look behind the curtain segment uh, from time to time in our analysis section here. And uh, this quote from The Way of Kings, you know, it speaks to me because it aptly describes kind of this general tenet I follow in writing. While story is is always at the top of the top of mind when I'm drafting, as in, you know, I'm, my number one priority is to tell you an entertaining tale. Um, but at the same time, I also like to tackle some tough issues in in the stories I'm telling you. Just a, a few quick examples here. Uh, I address things like uh, questionable means to achieve a just end. So an example of that would be, you know, killing in furtherance of the uprising's cause in the Spoken Books Uprising. Uh, reconciling the fact that a good person can do bad things. I think Deliritus is a good example of that uh, in the series. Uh, and fundamental disagreements with someone uh, you love. Uh, uh I'm not going to avoid spoilers here because I don't know how far all of my listeners have read in the series, but Baz certainly has a relationship that I think uh, has at least started to address that and will continue to address it as the Spoken Books Uprising progresses. Um, while I write about these issues, though, uh, and this, is, this gets into really why the quote speaks to me, you know, I don't necessarily give definitive answers uh, in the books. You know, some people might call that a cop-out, but I kind of think that's the point of stories. I'm not here to tell you how to think. Rather, I'm just aiming to flag some issues for you and get you thinking all the while, spinning you a yarn that entertains. Um, You know, most people don't want to be preached at. I totally appreciate that. I don't really want to be preached at, especially when I'm reading a, a book for fun, which is generally why I'm reading a book. Uh, though I do find many folks, and I think maybe fantasy readers in particular, they like to be challenged. Um, and as I've said before, one of the great things about fantasy is it makes challenging topics uh, more approachable by filtering them through a lens of make-believe. So read the stories you like, ponder their meanings, and form your own opinions. Don't let others think for you, and again, 
As Brandon Sanderson tells us in The Way of Kings, the purpose of a storyteller is not to tell you how to think, but to give you questions to think upon. All right, so that's it for next for uh, that's it for this week. Uh, as always, thanks very much for listening. Um, as we've mentioned in the past few podcast episodes, my Patreon is now live, patreon.com slash dtkane. If you'd like to join me over there and throw some support my way for all the content I'm creating, I would greatly appreciate it. Um, and that's it for this week. So we'll talk again next week. So until next time, this has been DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. DT Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for DT Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find DT Kane on Facebook at DT Kane Author or Twitter at DT Kane Author, or send DT Kane an email at DT Kane at DT Kane.com. See you next week.